Welcome everyone. And uh, today I want to continue to explore a bit how to work with uh, addictive patterns. I uh, started that on Wednesday, so I will uh, go a bit deeper. And Yes, uh, like Wednesday, I would like to um, make the what we understand, what addictive patterns are, quite big. So, so that would include uh, all patterns of uh, avoiding what is happening in the present moment. So that could be also for that there could be, for example, complaining and blaming, or uh, beating yourself up, or uh, of course all kinds of uh, substance abuse, uh, but also yeah, internal. And external, we can actually basically use everything to not be in contact with ourselves. You, even things which are supposed to bring us into contact with ourselves. Uh, somehow we can manage like meditation and yoga. So meditation and yoga can be practiced or, or uh, running. Um, Uh, we can uh, so we can use uh, all kinds of activities internally and externally to to not be in touch, to not be in contact with ourselves, to not be with ourselves. And and some of the of these addictive patterns, of, of course, they are obviously harming ourselves and others. So probably one would want to work with these patterns first. So if you have, if you have cultivated a pattern of avoiding who you are and what you feel, which is actually harming and creating more and more problems in your life, then you would want to work with that pattern, of course. And that, that could be all kinds of kinds of activities, like eating could be for, for some, for, 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 for many of us that can be something really nourishing and healthy, something which we enjoy, something, something we are present with, but it can be also one of those uh, possibilities to, uh, to disconnect disconnect from pain, from dissatisfaction, from, from restlessness, from boredom, from loneliness. And of course the most uh, ingrained uh, addiction we have is the addiction to identity. That's, that's where, where all the other addictions come from. So if we if we dissolve that addiction, then uh, 
the best antidote towards addiction is enlightenment. And, and uh, so the Buddha still enjoyed his tea, um, and he enjoyed walking and relationships, but there was not the trying to squeeze something out of these activities which is not in them. Um, before I continue to uh, talk, uh, let's just uh, sit quietly for 15 minutes so there's some space and we can also start to <coughs> experience what it means to be in contact, what it means to be with yourself. So like you can close your eyes and you adjust your posture so that you sit comfortably with uh, some dignity and then you just start to shift from being in the head touching and Comment, comment, to comment on all your activities, so you, you shift from that, and your awareness drops into the body, even down into your legs and into your feet. The most important here is the friendliness, Maitri. So, whatever you meet, you do that with warmth and kindness. Notice how the chair carries you or the floor. And you let yourself be carried. You give yourself the permission to do nothing. your belly or befriending your own energy. 
like meeting a friend, like holding a baby. breath supports you, you breathe in, bathing, your experience in welcoming breath. And if there's tension or tiredness, restlessness, even slight discomfort, so we explore what happens if we let that be okay. And then with the out-breath, there can be a sense of letting go here, letting go of the control freak, the meditator. Letting go of pressure, Then when you notice you emphasize the story again, the blah blah, then you drop back, like falling in love. So you drop back from the blah blah, you drop back into the body, into your hands. There where it is easy for you to anchor yourself. So you stay in touch with reality, becoming less interested in blah blah. to follow blah blah if in this moment you have everything you need. Whatever arises, love that. The presence of the people around you. So there's that container 
which we are protected by the presence of uh, the Kamapa and the Dalai Lama. returning, returning and resting, being yourself, nothing to do, nothing you need to understand, nowhere else to go. And possibly you can appreciate the stillness or the presence, the field of awareness which arises when we sit quietly together in the spirit of compassion, in the spirit of kindness. Tune in into silence or peace, even if your mind is agitated. Returning, returning, softening, allowing, (laughs) 
and relaxing into the presence. the Dalai Lama and the Kamapa. Not so much as persons, but as holders of the profound wisdom and enlightened activities. your whole body from the toes to the top of your head like sitting in the sun so here it's it's a meditation without doing meditation it's meditation which which happens Is there something right now in your experience which you try to avoid? Something you try to manipulate or to, to get rid of? So what is calling for your attention? And what we explore here is, is what happens when we hold that gently, touch that softly, saying, yes, I'm here with you. Within the container of the body, within the container of the group, within the container of the teachings. Then you can dare to touch anything. discomfort and breath. And with the out-breath you use the natural letting go in the out-breath.
stillness. sensations into the stillness. So the, the Tibetan word for addictive pattern is Shampa. So we can make the connection with, to uh, you know, the teachings I gave <coughs> before uh, about Shampa. And one of the first, uh, the first direction we go when we want to work with patterns addictive patterns is that we that we get to know them, that we become familiar with them. That we uh, become curious about them. And what is so important is that in that curiosity and in that exploration is kindness. So probably before we do that we would have to look into the, the theme of uh, self-compassion. You know, non-judgmental, non-judgmental looking. Because what might happen is that you know, because because you're so used to uh, uh, criticize yourself or have this contemptful look, uh, 
on vulnerability or fear or eating too much or then of course you you would be afraid to bring a pattern into that into that place like here look at this because you would you know you would want to hide that it's it's it could be a pattern you have started to develop in childhood just hiding certain things because you 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 felt the the judgment so what is it's really important that we uh, that we um yeah, it is this softness and this tenderness and this, uh, I mean, we are good people. And then, and then we do harmful things, not because of, uh, not because of, uh, because of badness, but because of hurt, of pain, of fear, of, and, and we all do that. So, and then you become braver to actually be honest with yourself because you, you trust yourself that when you meet the things in you you don't want to see that they are met by kindness. And that's like, that's the loving gaze of the Buddha of compassion, you know, of Shenrezig, what we, what we explore in the Shenrezig group. That's like the the, the loving kindness, this loving gaze. And then you can bring anything into that loving gaze. So I have uh, written down like three areas where I feel that uh, or it's three areas where I would want to ex like look a bit how you know, Buddhist uh, practices, Buddhist meditation could help us with addictive patterns. And the first is um, um, meditation can help us to uh, you know work differently or be differently with urges and triggers. Because what we are working with is uh, is habits, and uh, and they are really ingrained. They are ingrained in our nervous system, so they will go on for a while. Like if you stop smoking, if you get, you know, if you get to that point that you want to get smoking, the urge to smoke a cigarette will arise quite long. I think it's, but I mean. With me, it was like two, three years. But now after, when did I stop smoking? Ninety-seven. No, yes, ninety-seven when I became a monk, because it didn't didn't fit to the ropes. <laughs> It was not an appropriate accessoire for the, for the robes. <laughs> but, but there is actually Buddhist uh, uh, traditions where it's okay to smoke. Yeah, 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 yeah the, the monks. 
because the Buddha didn't say anything about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, they, they want to be really strict with the rules, and they are really strict, uh, the Thai monks. And since the Buddha didn't say something about smoking, <laughs> they, it's silly. Uh, so that's a, quite a quite a um, a long time ago when I stopped smoking, and now it's this urge is gone. I mean, I never feel like oh, it would be so nice to smoke a cigarette now. It, it seems it seems to be absurd for me now, but it takes a long time. So. How to be with these urges, which will come up uh, in a more skillful way, or yeah, how to be with them, because they will arise. And uh, the same is with triggers. Are you okay? Okay. Yeah. Don't run away like like this. <laughs> um, yeah, the triggers. That's you know becoming uh, mindful about you know what is triggering the patterns. That's really helpful to. Uh, so you can you can. You 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 can start to catch yourself before, or of course it is also sometimes a, a, a good advice to to keep a respectful distance for a while if that is possible. For for like I mean, if you want to stop to smoke, then it's good not to buy cigarettes and have them at home. Yeah, so or avoid certain places or certain situations for a while. So that's the first area, the urges and the triggers. And the second is uh, how, to, how to be with emotional and physical pain in a different way. This is, of course, very important. Because that's why we have these patterns. Because we, we don't have other ways to, to respond to emotional and physical pain. So we go for the short-term relief. So it does not make sense to stop a certain addictive pattern without any other tool, without any other strategy to be with that which you cover up through the addictive pattern. Otherwise, you will, you know, you, you might stop smoking and you start eating. So, stopping an addictive pattern is not a little thing. It's not. It's not just I, I st stop smoking. That's. That's not. It's a big thing. It's really a big thing. Unless you uh, you you switch to another. Uh, pattern which gives you relief. But if you really let go of one of those patterns with, with what, where you have uh, for a while successfully disconnected from what is happening in you, 
then that will be there. So what? So then you need to have some way to work with that which is there then. And that does not necessarily mean uh, only the big thing. It is also just boredom and restlessness and feel, feeling lonely and feeling a bit insecure, a bit vulnerable. Just the normal human stuff. Yeah. So so that's uh, that's probably one of the, <coughs> the really uh, important things to change the way we relate and think and hold and work with emotional and physical pain understanding you know through the teachings the true the the first noble truth the truth of suffering it's going to continue. I mean, life sucks on one level. Just getting up in the morning. I mean, you want to smoke a cigarette just to, <laughs> you know, just to get over that, that, that first half an hour to get out of bed into this horrible day. And it's going to continue like that. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that with my clairvoyant power. <laughs> and then, of course, then there's crisis. Just one damn crisis after another. <laughs> Daily crisis. I mean, nothing really works out, right? It's just like horrible. Yeah, so just by me talking like this, I'm kind of, you know, that's like beginning of accepting. Ah, and then we can have a bit of humor about it. But that, that, that's, uh, that's really a gift in the Buddhist teachings, that they are, that they start so down to earth and so real. They, they really pick us up where we are. And then uh, the, thir the third um, area, which is uh, which which is which we explore, is genuine contentment, genuine happiness. So what what is uh, so how how to find and what is and how to find genuine happiness, genuine wholeness within our experience. So there is that level of life, of experience, which will never work out. But then there is that level, that more, that profound level, that deep level, where we can find true contentment and true peace, genuine peace, independent from how well our life is going, independent, independent of physical and emotional pain. And so that is what all spiritual paths, 
uh, in Buddhism is pointing to, and is, it gives us tools to, to experience that as our true home, as our true identity, the, the true identity of identitylessness. So when we talk a bit about uh, you know, genuine happiness and hedonistic happiness, it can be helpful to, to distinguish uh, these two. So hedonistic happiness is the happiness which we, uh, which we experience uh, through sense, sense, sense pleasures. When things are going well, when we experience nice things when we hear nice music, when we eat nice food, when we, uh, when we see something beautiful, when we, uh, yeah, when we have nice feelings. And that's okay. Uh, it's wonderful that, the, that there's that aspect of life also, and, and we all should, uh, we all uh, could practice a more more appreciation and more gratefulness for that level. But there is a th three problems with that. And the first one is it does not last. It's short term. It's a short term relief. And some of those, uh, the, the sh some some of the short-term relief, you know, then becomes addictive. And then, even if that behavior is harmful, and we start to recognize it's harmful for ourselves and others, we can't let go of that short-term relief, of that short-term. short-term short -term peace. So it does not last. The second pro <clears throat> problem is that it, it does not really it does not really give us what we are looking for. It's just like a provi provisional, and uh, an indication for that is it's like so you you get the kick, you get that relief, but then quite short times, some, sometimes in seconds, sometimes in minutes, sometimes it lasts a few days, something in you says, feels, oh, what next? What next? And it does not end. So it's like, what next? Okay, now I had my, my new car, what next? Now I had this wonderful sex, fantastic. What next? More intensive, longer.
Now, one of the uh, things which at one point really annoyed me with the smoking was um, uh, that I couldn't really I, I, I couldn't really enjoy meals anymore because when I got half through the me meal, something in you in me was already building up this get get over this so that I can smoke a cigarette. <laughs> so. That was this this is this is oh, what next where's the next kick where's the next relief where's the next thing I can buy and and this what next uh, uh, that is um that's it that it never stops so that that part in us will never say, okay, so now let now we relax now it's good enough. And we have been running around since beginningless time from the Buddhist point of view, hunting after those temporary relief. And that leads to the third problem, and that is, so if there wouldn't be an alternative, if there wouldn't be the possibility of genuine happiness, of genuine peace, so th then maybe we could set we would settle with okay that's that's all what is possible just running around and grabbing for those temporary pleasures uh, but the sad thing is while we are doing that while we are so busy with you know finding uh, being hunting after those temporary things we miss the possibility of slowing down and exploring deeply and coming home, coming to, to really rest, coming to, coming to a place of deep contentment. In, in, the, in the Lam Rim teachings, there's this metaphor where they say the, the, the precious human life is like being born on the island of jewels. And it's an island where there's uh, uh, jewels uh, growing in the trees. And then there's glass splinters on the path. And we are so busy because we are just looking like this. We're plug we, we, we collecting these glass splinters and we put them into our pockets. And then we die and we go on with these pockets full of glass splinters. Which in the in the Buddhist uh, uh, in the teachings on karma, these glass splitters are the karmic residues which we which we continue to accumulate when we fo when we follow harmful addictive behavior. So not only the addictive patterns they don't give us what we really need and what we. Uh, uh, look for, we also create a lot of troubles. We, in, and in the Buddhist teachings that would, would be uh, called, we, we create a lot of karma by stealing, uh, lying, um, hurting others, pushing others away, not being present for others, 
by harming our body. So these are the these are like the problems with hedonistic pleasure. So it would be uh, a mistake now to get afraid of hedonistic pleasure or put it down or uh, uh, so that that would be that would be not not healthy at all. So it's not about making hedonistic pleasure the enemy. It's about learning a more balanced way to enjoy the pleasures of life. And when I look back uh, to, to the habit of smoking, the smoking actually prevented me to be present and to and to uh, to enjoy, like for example, food. It was only when I stopped smoking that I could start to appreciate really food, because I had the time for it. I could actually eat the whole meal instead of only half and already fumbling with a cigarette. So that's, that, that's the, the problem with hedonistic happiness. In the, in the tantric perspective, from the tantric perspective, of course, um, there it's even more so that we explore how to actually transform hedonistic pleasure into the path. And so I'm just saying that because it happens quite often that uh, you know, avoiding hedonistic pleasure and becoming kind of ascetic sometimes becomes like a spiritual value. Like there's many Buddhists who can't enjoy a piece of chocolate cake anymore because it's attachment. So it's it's helpful to, of course, it could be uh, part of our path, as I said, to keep some respectful distance of some of the things. That's that's the that's the idea of becoming a monk. You know, you say, I just need to create some space, so I I, I take myself away from those, from the biggest tra- trouble troublemakers, and the biggest troublemakers is sex and money. So you, you take yourself away from that, provisionally. So what is, uh, uh, what, what is um, sources for genuine happiness in... Um, in 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 Buddhist uh, in Buddhist meditation, and there's like three three areas uh, sources for genuine happiness. So genuine happiness is happiness which is independent from how how well your life is going. So it's independent from the weather, it's independent from your bank account, 
It's independent if your career is going down or up. It's independent from your health. So it's like a gen, it's a happiness which is, you could say, like it's coming from inside. And there's like three sources for, uh, for, for genuine happiness in the Buddhist teachings. And one is uh, compassion, kindness. So that's the... Uh, and and there's uh, really in- inspiring examples of that. For example, there is uh, the founder, a founder of a of a therapeutical school. I, I I don't remember the name now of the. He, this, the name is uh, the, he is called. Uh, his name is Viktor Frankl, and uh, he uh, he founded a school. It's it's quite known in 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 Germany, but I forgot the name of this therapy. It's, uh, but he uh, he started to develop his ideas while he was in a concentration camp, and uh, so and and he described and in his in his first book, he describes uh, that genuine happiness which arises when people are kind and share even in these extreme situations. There is something which is even deeper than that. That's kindness, that's friendliness. And there is something so beautiful in, in, in kindness and friendliness. It's just like... It's, it's meaningful and it's full. It's full of meaning. And it's... Um, it just doesn't need more explanation. It's just enough. It's just enough in itself. So if you if you uh, if that shines through in you, from your heart, or it or you meet it, you're not going to ask what's the meaning of life, and this is no. It's that's a moment where. They are, it's just so obvious. There's always people who are kind. Always. I mean, you can't have even a lonely heart attack on the train station. You know, then people come and help you bring you to hospital and uh, I mean it's amazing the uh, amount of uh, people helping each other so and as you know in particular in the Mahayana tradition that's one of the main areas which is being explored how to nurture that that flame of kindness in you, that flame of taking care of others, that, that, flame, that flame of generosity.
and it's inborn, obviously. I mean, you just, uh, you just, it's, it, every baby has it, has that capacity. They are, they are born as social, loving uh, potentials. And then it's, it gets screwed up. So that's kindness. Uh, the, the second area is uh, what you could would call wisdom. So that's the, the 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 joy, the happiness, the contentment, which arises when you when you explore who you are and what is experience, what is feeling. So exploring reality, like deeply. Not fantasy, stories and perspectives, but how things really are. So that's the vipassana, vipassana, inside. And then the third is... um, kind of a foundation uh, for the other two and that is um, uh, a happiness, a fulfillment which arises naturally from the inside when your mind becomes a bit more settled, when your mind becomes a bit more stable. So that's and that's a common experience, and also in 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 many other spiritual traditions, spiritual traditions who who use methods uh, for settling the mind, like centering prayer in the Christian tradition or mantra or the breath, or in yoga where you bring your attention to the body. So in all these uh, in all these methods, where your mind becomes stable. Uh, you will experience that uh, this radiant joy, this radiant stillness, which is the default state of your heart-mind, comes comes forth. It's a bit like uh, like, uh, uh, the ocean when the waves uh, subside, the depths of the ocean is more obvious, the vastness of the ocean. So this is a very, this is something you can very easily um, check yourself, and most of us have had experiences like that. That just by settling the mind in a retreat or a meditation day, that the, there's peace arising, stillness arising, contentment arising. So in in that way you can see how actually all Buddhist teachings are uh, connected with uh, the theme of working with addictive patterns. They are all all 
they all support us in, in that in that journey. Okay. So before the break, uh, I would like to talk about three attitudes in this uh, in this uh, in this work with addictive patterns. And uh, these three attitudes, they are, they are connected with three qualities of, of, of your mind, or three qualities of your Buddha nature. And then after the break, I will lead a meditation uh, where we will explore these three attitudes, or these three qualities of your mind, of your heart. And then uh, there will be also space for discussion and questions. So these uh, three qualities, I wrote them down. Easygoing, interested, and friendly. So the easygoing attitude, that is the attitude of, that's something I, I really always emphasize when I guide meditations or when I teach meditation. So that is that attitude of allowing, of letting things be as they are. Just easygoing. Yes, things come and go, things change. The, the, the Buddhist word here uh, is equanimity. It's like a, a balanced, open presence. In which things can come and go. So neither get, getting overly excited when things are going well, nor being thrown from your uh, from that way of being uh, by the challenges. So both. So it's not indifference. It's not being detached or something. Uh, that's not what equanimity is. It is, uh, it is actually, so you, you become more intimate, you become more, more in touch with your experience because you take it less personal. So you don't feel less, you feel more. But so you feel more, both the pain and the joy, but it bothers you less. This is very important because meditation is used by many particular men uh, uh, it's being used for uh, disconnecting. It's like transcendental meditation. It's like you know, going into going into the angel realm. 
So equanimity is nothing like that. It hurts you more. Life will hurt you more. But it will bother you less. Hurt you more also in in sense of uh, you know, the broken heart, the vulnerable heart, being touched. So you will be touched. Uh, that's a side effect of mindfulness, which is n often not mentioned. Yeah. Uh, because, of course, we would like to be touched by joy and laughter and happiness, and, but that's not possible. Either you are touched or not. So be careful what you get into. You can't, you can't just choose, okay, I want to be touched by gratitude and compassion and all the nice things, and this I transcend. <laughs> So you, uh, you, you, you are touched more by life because you can afford it, because there's more space, you're more easygoing. Your heart becomes bigger, so there's more space for joy and pain. So that's equanimity. The, the other is indifference, where, where, you, where, you, where you disconnect. Ah, it's all empty, it's all an illusion. Yeah, it's all empty and then you have tears in your eyes. In the same time. Yes, it's true, it's all empty. And that's why you can afford to, uh, to open your heart to the pain of others. Because it's empty. So the, 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 this easygoing, uh, allowing, uh, open attitude, the first one, this is connected with uh, uh, the openness of your mind, the openness of your heart, what is also sometimes called the emptiness or the voidness, which is also called the fullness. So it's the, the emptiness which is full. <coughs> It's, uh, it's also called the nothing which is everything. The nothing which is everything. Uh, so that's uh, the, the, this, uh, the, the first attitude is connected or is like a, uh, a door or a pointer to the, to the openness of your mind. The boundaryless, centerless, openness. And when I, mind, when I say mind, I also say heart. It's, it's one thing. Mind-heart. Heart-mind. So the, the second uh, attitude is interested. That's the vipassana, vipassana inside. And it's amazing what that can do. 
it's uh, it's 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 just amazing what interest can do so instead of uh, you know putting yourself down and feeling guilty about addictive behavior become interested become curious about it in, instead of trying to get rid of anxiety or depression become interested in it Become an explorer of the of the human psyche, just there in the mess of your life. Oh, this is how it feels to be the at the end of my rope. This is how it feels to have a broken heart. This is how it feels to feel insecure. And, and that that interest that can come with a with an awe within, wow. Within uh, this is wow. It's like any anything. I mean, this you know, like if you just would explore this, it's just amazing. You know, the cells and the nerves and what it can do and it can feel and I can feel from inside and and it's just. It's just everything, you know, everything is so, everything can be so amazing if we are interested. In the Zen tradition, they have this term of beginner's mind. It's like this beginner's mind. And it is said that if you condense all the Buddhist teachings into one syllable, like the bouillon of all the teachings, First you get the Heart Sutra, yeah? but then, then if you cook the Heart Sutra uh, and you get that cube of, <laughs> of, the, of the, that bouillon cube yeah, of the Buddhist teachings, uh, it's, ah, that's it. <laughs> it's a syllable ah. Yeah, so, ah. And, and so in the Tibetan tradition they they say the, the very the, the brightest people for them that is enough. The the ah. And then for other people who need to have more explanations, then there's the first the first book about the R is then the Heart Sutra, and then there comes the other Prashna Paramita, and then the commentaries on the Prashna Paramita, and then we have the uh, like this whole library of books all about the R. And the R is the R is the Sanskrit word for negation. No, it's like this, uh, so you, the, uh, you, it's a syllable you put in front of the word to negate it, yeah. And it has that, oh, that, wow, it's the wow, it's it's like wow, no, that's a, no wow, 
It's like a natsman, yeah? a natsman, that, that are non-self, non-this, non-that, non-this. Neti neti. And uh, of course, it's, it's whatever you l- uh, look at, at this universe, in this universe, whatever you look at, closer you come, less you find. Right? From far away, it looks like a real thing. And then you look, and you look, and you look, and atoms, and you look, and you look, and you look, and you look, and you, f- you don't find anything. That does not mean that it does not exist, obviously, because it exists, it, f- it functions, yeah, but it does not exist as it appears. So interest is, uh, I have been now since, I don't know, maybe it's since many years, but particular, the last year, I have been very interested in anxiety. And it makes really a difference. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming so curious. I'm, I'm so curious about anxiety. And uh, it, may, it made really a difference for me. After 30 years of uh, trying to get rid of it, to, um, to become curious into it. Because it's not going to go away. going to be afraid for the rest of this life. <laughs> On and off. Yeah. But uh, so and then it becomes you know, so when you explore anxiety you, know, you explore, you you're open to it. You you I, I yeah and it's uh, to explore that that energy of anxiety. So, um, that, so that would be inquiry. Yeah. So, in in patterns, in addicti- in addictive patterns, to inquire, to become curious about it. How does it feel? W- one important question in 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 this inquiry with addictive pattern. It's one important question is what is it what I don't want to feel in this moment? So if you, if you ask that question, also, re- like really with curiosity and warmth, what is it what I don't want to feel? Like you notice that you want to go to the fridge and you, you it's a going to the fridge not to make yourself a nice dinner, but it's going to a fridge to put something into your body which is sugary and unhealthy and you feel worse after. Yeah? Of course, we, we need to do that sometimes. Yeah? That's, that's fine. But, so, but it's just for curiosity. I mean, you can still do it. Yeah? So that's not, that's not so much the point here. 
but the question, uh, like with curiosity, to sit down in that moment and to ask yourself, what is it what I don't want to feel? But of course, you need to be interested in life. You need to be interested in what it means to be human when you ask that question. It's just like you become an explorer of humanness in its whole in its whole spectrum. So then, then, okay, what is it? So you go into the body, you feel, what is that? Yeah, there's an uneasiness, a restlessness, feeling dissatisfied. Yeah. So then, then you look. So, th and then you could ask, what is it, what is it, what this, this, this needs actually? What is it? What it need? This this uneasiness, or could be a loneliness, or or you feel some regret about something you just did, or it could be all kinds of things. So and and then you then you could then you could ask, oh, what is it? What what this needs? Is it actually this sugar? Is it is it, that's what it wants? Sugar, <laughs> sugar, yeah. But is it what is it that that little being there, which is uneasy and restless? What does it actually need? So, if, if that would uh, now, if this would be actually in be. Uh, uh, if that behavior of going to the fridge would be actually a problem in your life. And I'm not saying uh, it's a problem if you do that like once a week or you eat a whole block of chocolate or something. No, I, I, I say when it really becomes a problem, that means you become overweight or or you don't eat healthy stuff anymore. So, so this could be actually uh, one way to start to work with it. Yeah? So to in that moment when the urge arises to sit down to ask yourself what is it what I actually need at that moment? Now, what, do, what is it actually? One of my favorite questions with an anxiety, uh, with anxiety, when I experience anxiety, is: Does this harm me? These sensations. Is it dangerous? Or why is it so difficult to be with this? Why is it a problem? Not, and that's a question, so obviously not to trigger like some, some thinking. It's questions which uh, make me looking, which, may, which keeps me 
curiously there looking at why why is it so difficult let's like I, I say to myself let's drop all words for a moment why what's so difficult to be with that energy it's it's prana it's she is life's energy in a certain frequency in a certain in a certain state so what what is it maybe it's bliss sometimes I say Maybe it's bliss. <laughs> Is it? What is bliss? It's kind of, wow. So then when I spread it a bit, I feel like, oh, wow, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Know what they say in some research about um, uh, this kind of experiences that uh, that what happens actually in your nervous system from being in love and being having experienced anxiety is almost the same. It's just that we tell another story about it. So something is happening, and then because you you saw the bill in the afternoon, you make the conclusion, ah, this is anxiety, it's a problem. And if you saw your new lover in the afternoon and you experience this, you say, oh, I'm in love, that's great. <laughs> don't know if it's so simple, but I'm just trying to spark some inquiry, some questions. <laughs> Now, what's the problem in being sad? What's the, what's the thing with that? Well, what's you know, when tears come and well, what's the problem with that? Why is it so difficult? Of course, and again, it's not. I'm not, I'm not asking this question as, and then we think about it. It's questions which is an invitation to explore. Why is it so? Why is it? Why is it so difficult to be sad? So there is this and tears. Yeah, okay. My makeup is being destroyed. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but is there another problem then? So that's the interest, and the interest is linked with uh, the quality of wakefulness. So the, the quality of your Buddha nature, or a, a, a capacity of, of your mind, is the knowing quality, the cognizant quality. So the, the space of your mind-heart is not only spacious and open and boundaryless, that is also true for this space, yeah, for the sky. But the sky does not know. It does not have that wakeful quality. It's cognizant nature, which is effortless. 
It's happening all the time. So you're on all the time. You could try now for 10 seconds not to be on. Not to be aware. <laughs> try to... There is no switch to, 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 to switch it out. It's on. You don't have any control over it. You can't make it better. You can't be more on than you are already on. It's on. And it's on all the time. Even in your dreams, even in the, in the, in the, in the, in the deepest dream, because you know, someone can wake you up. It's on. It's on all the time. And uh, from the Buddhist point of view, it was not. It didn't start at one point uh, when you grew, grew in the room of your mother. Then your brain suddenly was so complicated, and suddenly it switched on. So, no, from the Buddhist point of view, it has been on throughout. So it, wa- it was on in the in the in the you know it was on all the time. Even when in the moment where the semen and the egg, it was already on. So that's the, that's the wakefulness. It's effortless. It can't be perfected. You can't work with it. It's that which is aware. So it's the spacious openness which is aware, which is so it's the it's the empty. The emptiness, the emptiness which knows. It's the empty knowingness. So then there is a, th- a third uh, attitude, and that's the friendly. Yeah? So that's Maitri. Obviously, so for me, one of the, that's probably the one thing I always talk about when I talk about that quality in meditation. Friendliness, maitri, the warmth, the kindness. And that friendliness uh, connects with the, the quality of uh, Gentleness, that's a word of, from Tara Brach. She calls it gentleness. It's, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche calls it goodness. Uh, Lama Yeshe says that in, in his book on Tantra, he says, uh, the, the, this quality of your mind, the, the nature of your mind is in the nature of love. So he, he, he says love. So not only there's openness and wakefulness, that empty openness is also good. It's intelligence. It is, it is intelligent. It's, br- it's brilliant. It's luminous. So th- that presence uh, is uh, is in the Tibetan tradition is 
connected with the feminine, with the feminine quality. So it's also called so prajna paramita, the perfection of wisdom. It's when she is symbolized, she is symbolized as a goddess. So it's the it's also called the womb of reality or the uh, the ground. Of course, Shenrizik is also representing that, yeah. But it's more connected with the, with the feminine, with the feminine quality. And of course, when a Christian mystic experiences uh, the open wakefulness, then the goodness in that open wakefulness is translated as the presence of God. So it's it's in and in, in, in some uh, in Sufism, for example, that quality of love is more emphasized than in the Buddhist teachings. They call it the beloved. So the the open wakefulness is 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 more uh, is more described in terms of that quality of love. And these three qualities, they are part, they are inborn. Undestructible. You can see it in a baby. Openness, since a baby has not uh, accomplished the selfing yet. So it has not, uh, it's not able to create that mini-self. So it's, it's open, it's on, completely on, beautifully on. And there is that capacity for connection, for sympathy, for resonating for smiling, receiving and giving love. And you don't need to teach that. It, it comes out and it's there. That they don't see things as objects and themselves as subjects? No. In, in, the, in the Buddhist teachings, they say there is like a seed, it's like innate, that selfing, like as a potential, but it has not yet, um, made, it, it, it hasn't done its job yet. So, like a, a baby, if you observe a baby, they, they start to discover, oh, this is my hand, I can move it. In the beginning, it's like everything is just like, and then they start to, yeah, and then they hear the name and 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 so on, and then the whole catastrophe, <laughs> cat catastrophic <laughs> thing of separateness. Uh, it's of course it's a necessary process. The selfing is a necessary process, and if it's not happening in a healthy way you will have problems for the rest of your life. And you have to do therapy and stuff. And, and actually, uh, some of our addictive patterns come from 
uh, not a healthy uh, process of selfing in the first years. So there, the Buddhist teachings are not so helpful because they don't have any description of you know child's development and thoughts about that. So, and that's the problem when we talk about selflessness and and so on because. And, and as if it's, you know, from the Buddhist point of view, it's all bad, <laughs> the, the ego and stuff like that. But there needs to be a healthy selfing happening. And it's not that in the end, when you awake, that, 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 selfie, that, that healthy selfing disintegrates. Because that needs to continue. You still need to, you know, take care of your family and go for work and have a sense of your needs and your boundaries and who you are. So the healthy, the healthy selfing is necessary. When you awake, the thing is that you don't identify with it. You don't say that's the healthy selfing, that's me. No, me is much bigger. I'm aware of the, of, of the selfing. I'm not the, the selfing. But it needs to be there. And it needs to be healthy. And we need to work with unhealthy aspects of that selfing. For example, self-criticism and self-judgment, the the unworthy self. So yeah. So it's it's uh, I think it's quite important not to throw out the baby with the bathwater with the teachings of selflessness. We need to have a healthy sense of self, absolutely. Do you mean that babies see things as empty? Hmm? Do you mean, uh, like, do babies see things as empty? Yeah, you could, you could say that. I, I uh, it, in the, 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 the baby do, does not see things. It, it does not know yet what it is. <laughs> so, in that way, in that way, in that process of selfing, there happens also that process of, you know, making things into what it is through labels, through, through learning how to use things, and so on. Okay, so let's have a break. That was a long talk. But uh, you can remember three things <laughs> I've read. So. <laughs> Let's have a coffee or something. <laughs>